Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always is Adam. Greetings and salutations, true believers. Yeah, I am doing pretty well. I probably could be in a better mood right now, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Related to the not, we'll find out shortly. <laughs> also with us, it's Donna Nelly. How's it going? Fuck you both, Jason Bloom and David Gordon Green. <laughs> All right. Getting things out of the way early, so... Uh, if, we're not uh, out of the way early yet. That's uh, We're not getting anything out of the way early here. That's just Don starting up the engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that uh, doesn't give it away, then we are covering Exorcist, or The Exorcist Believer uh, for this fresh cuts. And uh, let's see, an hour and 51 minutes rated off. Synopsis is as follows. When two girls disappear into the woods and return three days, what happened to them? The father of one seeks out Chris McNeil, who's been been forever altered by what happened to her daughter 50 years ago. So, yes, this is what, uh, six or something movies in this franchise, or movie in this franchise, but this is... Written like it's a direct sequel to the original, I don't think it's really taking anything else in the French into account unless there was something in here that references them. I've only seen all the other ones. Well, I've seen one and three a lot, but most of the other ones I've only seen like once when they came out to see them. But, so if anything else is getting referenced to those, I probably wouldn't have caught it. 
But with that said, we're going to get general thoughts going, or further thoughts, <laughs> initial, initial thoughts. So, uh, Venom, I'll kick it. The Exorcist Believer, let's hear it. All right, well, for those who don't know, uh, The Exorcist is my favorite film of all time, regardless of genre. It's not just my favorite horror film of all time. It is my favorite movie of all time. So obviously there's going to be some heightened expectations when you attach the name The Exorcist on a film. And I think that's the first mistake that this movie makes. If this movie would have been a standalone movie, if it was just David Gordon Green uh, doing an exorcism film, I definitely would not have hated it the way I walked out of the theater hating this one. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this movie. The first thing I'm going to say is... Nothing in the movie is necessarily terrible. Like, I wasn't rolling my eyes constantly. I wasn't cringing at some of the acting or the line delivery. As far as the filmmaking, the the storytelling, the performances, it's all pretty much middle of the road. But that's where I have the biggest issue, is that this is The Exorcist. And The Exorcist should never, ever have a middle-of-the-road sequel. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'll start with the positives, and there are a few, so I won't be long. Uh, I thought the performances of our two main girls were fine. Um, maybe a little cliche exorcism, and that that's also probably going to be one of my biggest complaints about this movie, is that this is the most basic bitch exorcism movie I think I've ever seen. Like, every goddamn exorcism cliche you could think of is in here, and it's done the same way we've seen it before. Oh, there's two girls that are possessed this time. It's so much different. No, no, it fucking isn't. Um, but like I said, the performances of the two girls were fine, I feel like it was a lot more obvious here that their quote-unquote possessed voices were voiceovers and not the actual girls' voices. It, it was a little bit less obvious in the original Exorcist, uh, to the point where Linda Blair actually got a, a, a supporting actress Oscar nomination for the film, and then just before the Oscars occurred, it was found out that she didn't actually do her voiceover, that it was um, the, the Mercedes lady. So... Um, obviously here it's a little bit more obvious that it's not these girls doing it. So, it, it, you know, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Um, I have no major issues with the performances. The story, the, the influx of other religious iconography and methodologies and things like that was interesting on paper because it's definitely one of those questions that people have probably asked over the decades. What happens if you're not Catholic? I mean, can you even be possessed if you're not Catholic? Or, you know, um, and this one kind of addresses that at least a little bit in the sense that there's more than just a Catholic priest at our eventual exorcism at the end of the film. So they tried to do something original here, but ultimately it falls flat. Um, I don't care about any character in this movie. I cared so greatly about Reagan, about Chris, about Damian Karras in the original. In this movie, I literally don't give a shit about anybody here. They don't make anyone here worthy of my backing, my, my rooting for, whatever the case may be. Yes, there are solid protagonists here, actually likable protagonists too, but ultimately... By the time the shit hits the fan, 
we've spent so little time because this is split up amongst two families because it is two girls that are possessed. You never really get enough time with either family. Obviously you spend more time um, with the black family with, um, I forget the character's name, uh, Angela. Uh, so Angela's family, you know, because her dad is a widower and he had to make a hard decision when his wife, you know, uh, got an injury while pregnant, which, you know, is kind of a catalyst for, you know, it's a major plot point in the film later on. Um, oh, man, I, I feel like I'm disjointed here because there's just so much to complain about. The fucking movie is called The Exorcist. Where was The Exorcist? There is no goddamn exorcist in this movie. If you want to talk about the ineffectual Catholic priest who gets dispatched 30 seconds after showing up, I'll slap you in the fucking face if you're going to tell me that's the titular exorcist. And then the other one isn't even a real licensed exorcist. It's, it's not even a holy person. It's a former person of the cloth who dabbles or has read stories and read Christmas Neal's book, so she thinks she's an expert. Yet you have the unmitigated balls to call this the exorcist. Fuck you. I'm right there with Don. Fuck uh, David Gordon Green and Jason Bloom for sticking the exorcist tag on this. Um, I, I feel like the only reason they stuck the exorcist tag on this film was to give us that little tiny piece of fan service at the end of the film, which I will fully admit as an old exorcist fan, it's my favorite part of the movie. But ultimately, it's a throwaway scene that has very little bearing on the rest of the movie. It really just has more bearing on the original film than anything else. So I, I just – it's funny because I started this review by saying nothing is inherently bad in this movie. It's just all so boring and, you know, been there, done that, that I question why did this movie even need to be made? Like what was the motivation other than money? Obviously money. Um, but – my God, this is not a quality film. This is not uh, a sequel that The Exorcist deserves. And ultimately, The Exorcist has only really gotten one great sequel. Exorcist 2, Dominion, and The Beginning all kind of suck anyway. Obviously, Exorcist 3, in my opinion, is one of the greatest horror uh, sequels ever. Uh, but that's a discussion for another show. This This movie is just so middle of the road and basic that literally as I'm walking out of the theater, there are these young girls. I, I saw the movie in a row where there were these teenage girls that, you know, I'm an old man, so it's hard for me to ga uh, gauge, you know, teenage girls age. They could have been anything from 15 to 22 for all I know. But as we're walking out of the theater, they're all raving about this movie, talking about how great it is and how how good they thought it was and everything else. And I'm I'm just like, oh, you sweet summer child, I have I have so many sights to show you if you think this was a great exorcism movie. Um, I I don't even know where to go on from here. I like I said. I, I can't give this movie much merit. It, it's not a good exorcism movie. It's not a good exorcist movie. Um, it's not gory. It's not bloody. Not that The Exorcist was ever really gory or bloody. But just we needed something more to put this over the top, and we didn't get it. And I think – and the problem – another major, major problem is that this movie opened the same weekend as a far – far superior possession movie came out this weekend, which we'll probably be talking about 
Um, if, if we don't talk about it on Fresh Cuts in the coming weeks, I can guarantee we're going to talk about it at our top 10 show at the end of the year. But aside from that, when you put out one of the best exorcism movies I've seen since Metamorphosis, and then the same weekend you put out Basic Bitch Believer, ah, what an absolute travesty. And what's funny is that they move this... They moved the release date of this movie to not go up against Taylor Swift. And you ended up kicking yourself in the balls even harder by going up against a far superior possessed, uh, a demonic possession movie. So, yeah, all in all, I, I can't recommend this movie to, to really anybody. I guess if you're a 16-year-old kid who hasn't watched that many exorcism movies, you might like this. But if you're a fan of Exorc of the original Exorcist, of Exorcist 3, or of any of the great innovative exorcism movies that we've gotten since then, you know, Exorcism of Emily Rose, um, uh, the aforementioned Metamorphosis, like, those movies are legitimately innovative. What we got today out of The Exorcist Believer was literally, it felt like a Shudder movie, I'm, and, and which two years ago, that would have been a compliment. But in 2023, not so much a compliment to be called a Shudder movie. But yeah, this felt like a Shudder movie to me. Something that I absolutely should not have had to go to the theater to watch. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm going to rant and rave here for hours if I don't shut up. So I'm going to go ahead and leave my general thoughts here and just say, as a hardcore Exorcist fan, I just hated this movie. And as a cinephile in general, aside from the exorcism part of it, this is just a middle-of-the-road, just basic movie. It doesn't offer anything new, nothing innovative. It doesn't, you know, break the mold. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It does nothing to merit the title The Exorcist. I will leave it at that for now. All right, and for uh, 180 positive take, Don, what did you think of them? <laughs> Just kidding. What, what, what do you got, Don? Okay, um, so um, I guess I'll start off with uh, my thoughts on this. Um, I've made it no secret that I am not the most uh, devout follower of the original. I've seen it once. I don't remember what cut it is. I know I've seen all of the, you know, director's cut, you know, version you've never seen before sequences. I've seen the spider walk. I've seen all the blood splitting. I've seen all of the excess stuff. I, I know I've seen that's here and there in my life. Maybe it's, you know, talking head documentaries. Maybe it's, you know, in the version I actually legitimately did see. I don't know. I wish I had the energy, the compunction, the will to go back and revisit the original. And this one may have done it because, god damn, ugh. I wish I could say so there's something positive to this. And I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that, you know, the studio sheen that permeates everything here is probably the best part of this it, it looks fine there's nothing here that really looks obviously bad or low budget uh, you know the makeup work is serviceable i suppose you know the exorcism sequence has some energy to it with everything that's going on everybody ranting and raving in different dialects and uh, you know the the scene has some energy and momentum to it but Jeez, um, 
the story is just an absolute train wreck. Um, I, I don't know why we're following each of these two families. Uh, there's nothing about them that's even remotely interesting. There's nothing about either of them that really draws me in or makes me care about what happens to them. Uh, you know, the little girls can go diddle themselves in the woods for all I care, and I couldn't give a fuck. Um, you know, the, the the basic idea could be serviceable, I suppose. I mean, you know, the idea that they go off in the woods, they disappear, and then they're found days later. They have no memory of what's going on. You know, all the tests that are going on to figure out what's happened to them. You, you know, the the early aftermath of their, you know, reappearance and, you know, all of that other stuff. There's a, a germ of an idea, I suppose, that could be intriguing. But then everything else is just so bland and stupid. Um, there's very little about it that actually makes you think that they're actually worthy of, you know, an exorcism. Because there's no time for any of that to be established in here. The, you know, bringing in the Catholic priest and, you know, all of the other various religions that they do here is uh, ham-fisted beyond belief. You know, it's as if, you know, it's called the exorcist. We're supposed to be able to, you know, have that exorcism sequence. So, you know, yeah, okay, you're a priest. Let's go bring you in. And that's literally as deeply as they brought, you know, they thought about the exorcist, you know, overall. He was literally the only person standing around in the church and said, hey, you're a priest. Let's go perform an exorcism. And it's, you know, it it has no emotional impact and no bearing on what's going on because that's literally as deep as the whole thing goes. And, you know, the the story, you know, like I said, makes no sense. None of the characters are interesting. And then the fan service. I mean, I don't know what's worse. The treatment of Sally Hardesty in Texas Chainsaw 2022, the treatment of the characters in Scream 5, or the treatment of Chris in this. I mean, is she even necessary to this? I mean, you know, good God, you could have filmed her scenes in a day. Like, was she necessary? Did she move the plot along? You know, did she stay more than a day to film her sequences? I mean, ugh. There was no reason for her to be there. There was no reason for anything that was brought up in any of the discussions that couldn't have been found online through a, you know, Wikipedia article or some interview, you know, pulled up on some random website from 10 years ago. There was nothing that she deserved. She needed to be there for. And it just felt like, you know, fan service for fan service sake. And, and, the way that she's dispatched in this, which I'm going to leave it at just, you know, saying that for spoiler's sake, but that just felt like an ultimate slap in the face. And I, I can't imagine that, you know, anybody that's actually a fan of the originals would have any kind of, you know, appreciation for the way that that happens. Uh, you know, the Linda Blair cameo is, uh, I mean, that's literally what it is, but yeah, just uh, the treatment of the original. You don't even bring up anybody else that happened in the original films. You know, Exorcist 3 is a more legitimate sequel than this because it legitimately and genuinely brings in the characters from the original to, you know, continue their story. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel disjointed. I feel distracted. I feel scattershot just because the way that this shit stain of a film made me feel. 
and I cannot support the the uh, saying that this came out the same week as when evil lurks, and you have the balls to think that this is going to compete with Taylor Swift on the heels of her dating some NFL star. Like you're seriously <laughs> concerned? You're seriously concerned about this thing underperforming? Ugh. Fuck you, Jason Blum. You've officially lost me now. So yeah, I I think I'll just leave it here for now because. Yeah, I'm going to be all over the place, and I don't really feel the need to. And considering the uh, opening statements and um, previously mentioned sayings from our chats, I think I'll just let the I'll just stop here and let the fireworks fly. Uh, Mike, take over and please give us something entertaining, because I know that you want to rant about this even worse than Venom does. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, All right. Well, I mean, I'll start off by saying I don't disagree with anything said so far. Venom, you talked about the girls on the way out of theater. There there was a young group of girls, I think it was like two or three, that were like sitting in my row. And I honestly think like the only audience for this movie is like the younger crowd that either hasn't seen The Exorcist or just kind of that new school mentality that they don't find anything before, like, the year 2000, like, good. Like, for some reason in their head, they just think if, it, if it's old, that it, it's just not good. Other than that, I don't know who this movie is for because, oh, my God. Like, it, I, I feel like the pro- – well, one of the problems, it, it comes off, like, every new school generic demon possession movie that, like, studios make. They're – there's nothing really interesting. Uh, we knew, well, I knew going in because of trailers that it was going to be two girls instead of one. So I was like, okay, what are they going to do with that? Really nothing. There, there, there's really no reason. All that did was it hurt the movie because, like as already mentioned, you're kind of splitting your time between the two of them in the background and the family. I think the, obviously, uh, Lydia... Her and her dad get a little more, like, time and development. We get a little more background on her versus, uh, what's the other girl, Catherine? Is that Catherine, yeah. Catherine. She's kind of just there because I guess she was with Lydia, and obviously she has parents, so they got to be a part of it. Um, to me, yeah, it, I, I'm <sighs> putting Exorcist on this, okay? One of, one of the things I think the original does in a beautiful way is it gets subtext across with conversation with the backgrounds of characters where this movie trades that in for monologues and everything is so on the nose. Like we even get that epilogue at the end. I think it's, um, Ann Dowd's character. Well, she, I guess her name in the movie is Ann too, but it played by Ann Dowd. Who I actually like Ann Dowd as an actress and she's, she's showed up in like various horror movies over the last handful of years. But in this, you know, we get this monologue at the end, and it's, I'm like, what? what's the purpose of this? Like, why are we hearing Like, this is what we hear in, like, your generic Exorcist movies, but in The Exorcist, like, you, there's no need for scenes and dialogue like this. We don't need this exposition. Uh, let's go to the, the, the fan service stuff, as Don would put it. What's Ellen Burstyn doing in this movie? There's nothing she does that's consequential to anything. Like, she could disappear from this movie and nothing would have played out different except, like, stuff that happens to her specifically. Mm -hmm. Why does she even show up? Like, why does she show up? 
it, it to confront any like what's she gonna like what's her expertise what's her I like I don't even understand why she's not there in the movie specifically but why she's there in the room and like trying to do any I'm like what what's my why? guess my guess and this could just be speculation the original point was for everything there to have been Reagan but Linda didn't want to return to the franchise so they wrote it for her instead. Uh, that, uh, I, I don't know if that I don't know if that would have made the movie better, but that's my initial idea was that it, it was supposed to have been Reagan instead, because he's literally the one that went through it. She would have been the one that had all the experience. I mean, Chris just stood off to the sidelines and did nothing, from what I remember. At least, I mean, Venom, you can correct me on that, but from what I remember, she stood on the sidelines and didn't really do anything. So. For me, it made more sense that the character was supposed to have been Reagan, and then when Linda Blair didn't want to return to it, and you know, beyond doing the cameo, I, they changed it into you know bringing back Chris's character. Yeah, I mean, they even they, uh, Ellen Burstyn even has a line in this movie where she even says, "I wasn't a part of the exorcism; they wouldn't let me in." So she's she's actually admitting that she doesn't really know what she's talking about. That's what uh, I was basing it on that specific line. Yeah, so yeah, thank exactly. you for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. Um. And what's with our like holy Avengers at the end, where like they they all like these people show up and they're more useless than the townspeople of Haddonfield trying to kill Michael Myers. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about and, like, why they thought that was a good idea. And, of course, nothing works. And I'm still not even 100% sure what they did to to actually exercise Satan or whatever. Like, I know, I know literally what they did, but I don't know why that is something that would work. Like, I, it felt like they were just like, all right, this is a part of a movie that we have to have a resolution. So the demon will be exercised. Explain to me how you build a, how you build a trilogy off this movie because I, <laughs> I, I I don't understand like at least with Halloween 2018 like regardless of how much you liked it or didn't like it it felt like a genuine part one to a trilogy like you could build off of it I, maybe maybe their plans for this trilogy is just three unrelated stories and maybe they have they throw in fan service in each one to connect them but otherwise I'm like this doesn't feel like a first movie of a trilogy. Hopefully it's not. I mean, hopefully they reconsider after this movie. Uh, what Supposedly, else if Facebook is, to, Facebook is to be concerned, there's stories going around that he may not direct the next ones. I don't know if there's any validity to those, but... Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, like, they they get rid of, like, really building... And th this could go back to, like, the fact that since there's two girls, and you they kind of had to split their time between what's going on with both of them, but you really... We really don't get, like, the slow development of, like, the possession where, like, we get, like, maybe a night where they, they come home from the trauma and they exhibit a little bit of, like, odd behavior. But then, like, within, like, a, a day, it's like, okay, now we're, like, fully realized possessed kids. And I was like, whoa, well, that was, like, quick. Like, what the hell's going on? Um, and, you know, like, our, I think it's already been mentioned, the priest is not much of a character in this. He's just kind of shows up and he's like all right i'll i guess i'll help but there's no like development there there's oh man i don't know this it just feels way too generic to even 
throw the exorcist name on it and it feels like yeah it's just like they knew if they said oh it's an exorcist sequel then a certain amount of people would automatically go see it if if not for anything else but curiosity and to see you know oh ellen bursting's in it okay well maybe it'll be cool to see her i think she's 91 years old now um she wasn't bad, but she just it just didn't seem like much of a reason for her to be there. Uh, she probably got paid a lot, and I think she got them to agree to do like that scholarship for young actors. So good for her for negotiating and <laughs> uh, something good. Um, like Venom said, I don't think anyone, the actors themselves, I don't think anyone was necessarily bad. They just didn't have a lot of work, a lot to work with with this script. It, it felt like another fly-by-night script where it's like. Okay, it's an Exorcist movie, so here's our checklist of things that people might expect in an Exorcist movie. But other than that, man, it was just kind of generic and uninteresting. I, it, it felt very by the book of what you would expect in a modern movie. It didn't do much to challenge anything about anything. Uh, yeah, not, I don't know. It's, just, it, it's kind of a dull movie to me and uh, and there was parts there was parts that they you knew they were taking cues from the original but they almost like tamed it down like in the original you have that scene with like reagan coming down the stairs and she like just straight pees on the floor and in this one they kind of like reference oh look the same thing's happening to them but it's like they they just get one of them gets woken up and says oh I think you wet the bed now I'm not saying like give me the pee scene like it's it's not like I was yearning to watch a girl pee but it's just <laughs> it's just the fact that like they they don't, I I don't know if dumb downs the right word but they almost like homogenize it to to make it less like risky or less controversial because oh we want to build you know we want this to be a big money maker and the first of a trilogy and we can't we can't do anything too controversial in our demon possession exorcism movie, but it's a demon possession exorcism movie. Yes, you can. Like you should, as evidenced by the superior movie that we all saw. So I don't know. Like I, I I've heard uh, to, to the, the the credit of most of the audience, most people are pretty down on it. I have seen like a small fraction be like, oh, it's not that bad, or even a smaller fraction even try to argue that it's good. I don't know what the hell movie they saw, but I'm not, you know, if they liked it, cool. But it seems like the consensus on this one is with us not very good, and uh, I'd be interested to see what happens with the rest of the trilogy if they still go forward with it. But uh, other than that, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, I mean, to Mike's point, I, I 100% agree. This movie has no teeth. The original Exorcist had teeth. It made you uncomfortable. There were scenes in it that literally made you turn your head, maybe not necessarily because of the gore, but just because of uh, just, you know, whatever the, the, the situation being portrayed on screen. Obviously, you know, Reagan masturbating with a crucifix, uh you know, the angioplasty in the movie, which, you know, from what I've heard, had made people faint back in 1974. And it is pretty gnarly, even to this day, to actually see that in a film, to see a little girl go through that. But yeah, this movie has no teeth at all. And just when you think it's about to, like there, there's one scene in a church where Catherine starts to diddle herself in the church. I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. We're going to get this big, you know, uh, psychosexual scene. And nope. 
they just leave it at that. Literally, it, we just see her hand go down or into her dress really quick. A couple of other kids in the church notice, but then she disappears, and that's the end of it. It's like this movie is beyond neutered. You know, Mike Mike was being generous by calling it neutered. I mean, this movie is just lame. It really is the best word for it. Lame as all hell. Yeah, and and let's talk about the like the the actual girls once they're possessed. I just feel like they don't do anything interesting like the way Reagan did in the original. Like you've already referenced some of the more graphic stuff, but even a simple scene like the scene where uh, Father Karras gets the vision of his mom and like the guilt for putting her in the old folks' home and she's like talking to him. In this one, the most we get related is okay, the possessed girls talk in like disembodied voices a little bit. About, like, I think, you know, whoever's related to whoever's in the room. But it's, like, so bland and, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, man, like, do something interesting here. Like, I I, I just don't know, know what exactly they thought. They I don't know. Like, it, it just feels very tame. Yeah. It definitely, I mean, the movie's still rated R, probably more for language than anything else. But it still feels like a PG-13 exorcism film to me um yeah just wow <laughs> uh god what else what the hell else i mean <clears throat> that that doesn't involve spoilers i mean um like i said these families that we barely spend any time with we don't really spend enough time to care much of anybody about much of anybody victor you know um angela's dad is probably the only one that maybe you might develop some kind of connection with, but ultimately we barely spend any time with him too. Even though we spend more time with him than Catherine's family, it's still so disjointed that you don't, you never, you never develop an emotional bond with anyone in this movie. And like Mike said, there were those great scenes with Father Karras in the original that made us care about this character, that actually made us feel for this character. And, and then when he makes his ultimate sacrifice at the end of the original, it's that much more impactful. Here, it really, nothing, there's no impact here whatsoever. You know, uh, we, we, we get no indication of, you know, is this Pazuzu? I mean, yeah, there are different people claiming that it's the same thing. Obviously, Chris McNeil, when she first confronts one of the possessed girls, actually says, I know you. And and the possessed, you know, mentions Reagan and knows stuff about Chris that, that the little girl shouldn't. But that that could still be any demon. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's Pazuzu. Um and obviously, when we get the shots of, like, different demonic faces throughout the movie, none of them look like, you know, Pazuzu. Um, so they potentially could be a different demon, which is fine. I don't need Pazuzu necessarily. It's a minor complaint. What I'm saying is just, like I said, they tried to incorporate Chris McNeil in that one scene. Like, I think that's the main reason she's in this movie was for that scene when she confronts Catherine and they have that conversation, the back and forth about Reagan and everything that Chris has gone through and blah, blah, blah. But it still has such little impact on the overall outcome of the film that it's basically a throwaway scene, you know, other than a fairly gnarly injury at the end, which again, um, kind of just disrespect to a legacy character like Don mentioned earlier. I don't know what's going on with these director, th- these modern day directors that are doing 
uh, remakes and sequels of classic horror movies bringing back original characters and then absolutely disrespecting them. What the fuck? Does fan service not mean anything to you? Like, if, if, if David Gordon Green's ultimate goal was to alienate every fan of the original, then bravo, my friend. You fucking did it. You've alienated all of us because now... This is now the second horror franchise that, in many of our opinions, you've ruined. So, of course, he's not going to do the next two movies in the franchise. He has to go ruin Nightmare on Elm Street for Mike. And then he'll probably mm-hmm. remake Zombie and ruin that for uh, Don. Um, so, I, <laughs> this guy just has a track record. Um, and, and this is one of those guys where, like, I don't understand how people are still giving this guy money to make movies. Like, like horror in October is going to make money. I understand that. People crave it in October. You know, people, not like us, people in the community who watch horror all year, but the people who look at October as spooky season, you know, they're the ones going to the theater and spending a lot of money, and it, 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 it justifies these just sacrilegious, no pun intended, sequels that, and, and remakes that we keep getting. It's so unfortunate. And then to hear the younger generation praise these movies, god damn it. Look, there's a, there's a generation gap with every generation. There always is. And it's something, as, as I get older, it's something that I have to accept. Not every 20-year-old is going to agree with me on The Exorcist and Dawn of the Dead and Zombie and, you know, the original Nightmare. You know, there's going to be that generation gap where, yeah, they like they like the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre better than the original. They like the new Fog better than the original. Just because, like what, like Mike said, there's that mentality that if it's old, it's crap. And that's such a shitty fucking mentality. But ultimately, <laughs> I dare say a lot of us probably had it. It's just like a rite of passage. You know, when we're young, we think everything that's new is awesome. Everything that's old is crap. And... It's unfortunate when that gets transferred into the cinema. And, you know, I, I see all these kids spending their hard out, hard-earned money for these subpar movies and then praising them. It's like, ah, I, I, you know, um, part of me is jealous that they enjoyed the movie so much more than I did. And then part of me just wants to slap them in the mouth and, like, what is wrong with you? Snap out of it. There are better movies than this. Just because this one was shiny and in beautiful 4K with Dolby sound doesn't make it better than the original in and of itself. I mean, there's still storytelling. There's still performances, editing, everything else that makes a film great. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and in the original, wasn't it? I don't know if it's a matter of fact or if it was implied, which is a theory that Reagan was actually possessed. Well, she played with the Ouija board and got possessed, but wasn't it to get at Marin because the demon kind of wanted to get at Marin for like their previous battle where in this one, like, I don't, what was the, was there any actual goal of the demon other than like fuck around with two kids? Like, and, and in the original, like, yeah. And obviously you know, in 2023, sure, a Ouija board being a conduit might be a little cheesy. In 73, it was appropriate. But are you telling – so in this one, it was a candle and a necklace? And that's <laughs> when, like them – like I don't understand like even what brought on the possession to begin with. Uh, unless that was I something they remember. were planning – unless they were planning on ex- – well, I, I, my thing is, is that they were probably planning on explaining that in the further sequels. 
Because, I mean, remember, this is still a trilogy, so some of that, you know, could have been, you know, the intention was explain it later on. But, I mean, if you're a standalone film, you still have to make some sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I mean, not to derail you, but my, you know. No, no, no. Hearing you say that, my initial goal is to just say, okay, part one of a franchise, they were at least originally planning on explaining that in later entries. I'm not saying that they were, but yeah. that could be the that could have been an in-game goal. I'll concede that that's a possibility, but every great trilogy starts with a great first part. Not every trilogy leaves open-ended and unanswered questions at the end of it. I mean, you know, look at The Matrix. The Matrix could have been a standalone movie. And it would have been fine. We, you know, many of us would have loved it. And then they gave us they gave us the trilogy because the trilogy was already planned when they, you know, wrote the original. And it's the same thing now with these kind of movies, with the Halloween, the new Halloween trilogy, the planned trilogy for this movie. It's like they're thinking too far ahead, but they're not concentrating on the task at hand, which is this movie. Make this movie a cohesive story from beginning to end. And then if you want to add more backstory, more color, uh, things like that to the mythology, then you can do that in subsequent chapters afterwards. But you still have to give us some sense of a complete story. And and Mike is 100% right. This, this whole – excuse me, I called it a hole. <laughs> that was Freudian, but it's kind of true. This movie is full of holes. It basically is one big hole because none of us can fathom why this movie was even made. Like I said, other than money, but it just, wow. I don't know. I, I guess we can get into the spoiler section because, I, I, like I said, I'm just going to sit here and rant for a couple of hours, and I'd really rather not do that. I'm, I, I, this is the first week I feel good after having COVID. I don't want to relapse because of a terrible movie. <laughs> so anything else you guys want to add before we get into spoilers? Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie made this movie made me feel spoiled, like as in spoiled rotten. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And not in a good way. Yeah, it's true, man. Because uh, this this year, my theme for Thirty One Days of October is just my favorite movies. I decided to take it easy. I talked about this on a previous episode because I had COVID in September. I didn't want to get into too many crazy themes, so I just decided I'm just going to watch the best of the best my favorites, my ultimate favorites. And to watch some of those favorites and then to have to watch The Exorcist Believer in between them is so disheartening. And it's not just because it's the only new movie. I mean, as we've all said, we saw When Evil Lurks yesterday, or most of us saw it this weekend, and that fucking movie. It's a travesty that we're not talking about that one, but ultimately, since it didn't have as wide a release as The Exorcist, it kind of made sense to go with this one. But, folks... If if When Evil Lurks is playing anywhere near you, yes, it's in Spanish. Yes, you're going to have to read subtitles, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it has kind of an odd ending where it's kind of open-ended. But aside from all that, the fucking film is brilliant. Um, and it is, it, it, it is the sheer definition of an innovative demonic possession movie. They did things that were so much different with the possessed with the with the um the the extra, the extra oh god i can't even get into it without really getting into story plot points but just take our word for it folks you want to watch an innovative possession movie watch uh the new one from Damien Rugna 
who, of course, was the director of Terrified, one of my all-time favorite Spanish-language films, so it makes sense that I love this one, too. <laughs> but anyway, back to the movie at hand. <laughs> Where This is going to end up turning into the When Evil Lurks uh, review, if we don't be careful. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'm uh, sure we'll talk, we'll talk about it soon enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way sooner than later, I hope. All right, Exorcist, Believer. Uh, our movie opens up in Haiti, of all places. Um, it's weird because when the movie opened up in Haiti, I'm like, oh no, they're not going to bring a voodoo angle into all this, are they? Luckily, no, they do not. It's just a setting. Um, our main character, Victor Fielding, is, is there with his new wife. She is very, very pregnant. She looks like she's eight or nine months pregnant. I mean, her belly is gigantic. While in Haiti, uh, an earthquake, a major earthquake occurs, and unfortunately, Victor's wife suffers an injury. At the hospital, Victor is informed that the doctors cannot save both the wife and the daughter, and that he's going to have to make a difficult decision. Uh, the doctor explains to him that anything that we do to save your wife's life is going to adversely affect the fetus. Or vice versa, anything we do to save the fetus is going to be bad for your wife. So you have to pick one. We don't see the husband actually make his choice, but then the film uh, skips forward 13 years. We see Victor once again working as a professional photographer, which he was taking pictures when he was in Haiti. So he's, he was probably a professional photographer back then, too. And... He uh, And he now has a 13-year-old daughter named Angela, uh, played by Lydia Jewett. Uh, and, you know, obviously he is a widower. She is his daughter. And basically, you know, it's a, it's a fairly basic relationship. You know, they show them having a good time, some nice character development. Um, eventually, Angela ends up going to school. We end up meeting Catherine, who is her kind of best friend, um, they are making plans to go do something after school. Angela tells uh, her father that she's going to be at um, at uh, Catherine's house. Catherine tells her parents that they're going to be at another girl's house. And ultimately what they ended up doing was they ended up going into the woods. And as Mike uh, mentioned previously, they decided to play this kind of game where they're using a candle and a necklace. And I think they're really using the necklace as a pendulum, almost like a hypnotism type thing. Um, potentially, though, the necklace could have been because the two girls later on in the film, they explained that um, the girls needed to have something personal of a, a, that belonged to a dead person, the dead person that they want to speak to. And we see that Angela wears her mother's scarf to school that day. Her father notices it, isn't happy with it, takes the scarf back, leaving Angela without a personal item. So potentially the necklace was Catherine's personal item. Maybe it belonged to someone that she was trying to contact. This is what I mean about splitting up the story because – you know, we may know Angela's motivation, but we don't really know Catherine's motivation. We know nothing about Catherine's motivation. Who was she was trying to contact? Was she just doing it for fun because she heard it worked? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, eventually the two girls, uh, they start a ritual. We don't really get to see much of it. We see them light a candle. You know, we see... Catherine kind of swing the necklace that she's holding like a pendulum. And then suddenly... It's that evening. 
and neither of the girls have come home yet. And both Angela's dad and Catherine's parents are both worried. They find out that both of their kids lied about where they were going to be. They ended up going to that other girl's house that Catherine told her parents she was going to be at. Of course, they weren't there. And then starts the police search. Um, once the parents fill out the missing persons report, the police then go into action, start scouring the forest looking for the missing girls. They don't find anything. Uh, and then uh, some time passes and we see a farmer. Uh, we see a farmer and his son at their farm and there's a horse dead um, in the field. Um, the dad tells the son to go get like a tarp or something to cover up the dead horse. While the son is in the barn, he discovers Angela and Catherine in the barn hiding. And, you know, they, they both are kind of like, you know, where are we, blah, blah, blah. They don't really know where they are. Eventually, the police do come, pick up the girls, take them to the hospital. They are reunited with their parents, but then the two girls basically tell the same story. They have no idea where they've been, and they don't know how long they've been gone. Uh, apparently, at one point, when Angela has been, is being interviewed by uh, either one of the police officers or one of the doctors, she thinks that she's been missing for a couple of hours. That's what it felt like to them, like they've been missing for a couple of hours, we then find out that they've actually been missing for three days. They've been gone for three days. And to, to kind of talk about a point that Mike talked about earlier, how heavy-handed this movie is, this movie doesn't give its audience any credit for being savvy whatsoever. Um, there's the three-day reference, which if you're a Catholic or even know anything about Catholicism, three days is a very specific reference, and that is uh, the resurrection. Jesus was killed on Good Friday, and he rose on Easter Sunday, which technically is two days, but they always say it's three, so whatever. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're savvy and you recognize the reference that the girls were gone for three days and, oh, hey, that's how long Jesus was dead before he came back to life, then cool. If you don't catch the reference, not a big deal. The problem is the movie is so heavy-handed that Catherine's mother actually says it in so many words. She literally is like, did you notice our girls were gone three days? Do you know who else was gone three days? Jesus, after he was crucified. It's like, really? Did, did I need that fucking explanation? Because like I said, if you were savvy enough to catch it, cool. But if you didn't catch it, no big deal. It doesn't hold any real bearing on the movie other than, you know, some religious connotation that kind of a throwaway line anyway. So, yeah, this movie just doesn't give its audience any credit for being savvy at all. And that's unfortunate. And that's probably why Reagan is fucking mentioned so much in this movie. Once Chris McNeil introduces herself, we know who the fuck she is, and we know who her daughter is. I didn't need to hear Reagan's name two dozen fucking times in the movie. It's like they're constantly reminding us, oh, remember Reagan? Remember Reagan? Remember? It, it just it got so annoying after a while. Anyway, again, sorry, off on a tangent. Back to the movie. Um, so, like I said, the girls have been gone for three days, and when they're back, they're not really themselves. They're very quiet, kind of standoffish, you know, not very talkative. Neither one of them knows where they've been. They, they just know that they started to play this game, and then they woke up in a barn and had no idea what happened in between that time. So that evening, 
Um, unfortunately, uh, Angela has a little bit of an accident. She ends up wetting the bed. Mike mentioned this scene earlier. Doesn't nearly have the impact of Reagan pissing on the living room floor in front of a party of about a dozen rich white actors and directors and producers. But, you know, whatever. Uh, so she, she ends up wetting the bed. The dad uh, puts a shower together for her to, to, you know, so that she can clean herself up. As soon as dad leaves her in the bathroom, weird shit starts happening in the house. Um, eventually, dad goes into the bathroom to make sure that his daughter is okay, and she's gone. She's not in the bathroom. And the, ba- and the tub is filled with, like, this black, viscous water, almost like it's water and oil mixed together. He doesn't even make a comment. on he, Like, he doesn't even react. Which is kind of odd. It's like, dude, that that's black water coming into your bathtub and not even a reaction. Like he turns off the he turns off the water faucets, looks at the tub for half a second, and then goes back to you know searching for his daughter. And then eventually he is attacked by his daughter. She she actually grabs the scarf, the, the, the her mother's scarf that her dad took away from her, wraps it around her father's head, slams him against the bed, and he hits his head, knocking himself out on the floor. And I don't even really remember how that scene culminated. I think it might have just ended with dad getting knocked out. Um, Eventually we go back, you know, and like I said, we're going back and forth between the two families, which is why this movie just feels like it doesn't know what it wants to stick with. Do you want to stick with Angela's story? Do you want to stick with Catherine's story? Do you want to bring them together? Because they don't even bring them together until the third act. Uh, You know, obviously in the first act when they leave school, they go into the woods. Yes, they're together. But I mean, after that, not until the exorcism scene at the end are they ever brought together to be questioned or anything. Uh, the other thing that I was very surprised about, and I don't know if this is refreshing or annoying. I'm still kind of on the fence about it. But the fact that no one questioned what was happening, everybody like like Catherine's family was instantly like, oh, I think she's possessed. Like, she's acting like she's possessed. I mean, she was gone for three days. This is the same scene where she brings up the line about Jesus returning after three days as well, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, wow. (laughs) Well, too, and and one of the problems I I see is because in the original, you know, Reagan went through several layers or tears before she was like, full-on Pazuzu-looking demon child. So it made sense why, like, this the science community would be skeptical, why she was sent to psychologists, why they were doing all these tests, because she didn't play with the Ouija board, and then two days later, she was Pazuzu. This movie, these girls, after the three days and they return, I think they it was, like, one night where they kind of acted odd... And then within, like, a day, she, they were, like, full-on possessed. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm failing to get the subtlety of why all the therapists or, like, all the naysaying took place in this one as opposed to the original. It didn't make a lot of sense. Um, I just made a discovery. <laughs> as I'm looking through the credits, I'm noticing a character who I don't recognize and uh, and it, I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and it is it is the character of Lamashtu. Apparently, this was the demon in the movie because I, when you look up Lamashtu on Wikipedia, it says in Mesopotamian mythology, Lamashtu was a female demon monster, malevolent goddess 
um, who uh, who menaced women during childbirth and, if possible, kidnapped their children while they were breastfeeding, would gnaw on their bones and suck on their blood. So apparently it is not Pazuzu in this movie. It is Lamash 2. And there's actually some pretty gnarly pictures on here, too. So if you want to check it out. Uh, so, yeah, apparently uh, no Pazuzu. It is Lamash 2. So I guess that kind of makes sense. And and the fact that it is a female demon also makes sense because all the shots, the quick shots of the demon itself are vaguely female. So that does make sense. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so back to the movie. Uh, after the girls are all back, um, they both kind of have a weird episode at the hospital, or not at the hospital, but at home. Um, they, they both end up going back to the hospital. Both girl, Both families take both of the girls back to the hospital because they both have weird episodes at home. And uh, Victor, Angela's father, decides that there's not much that can be done for uh, excuse me. He decides that he does want to commit Angela. That he that he he's of the agreement that this might be a mental issue, a mental health issue. So he decides to look for a facility to put Angela in. Catherine's parents are a little bit more Catholic, like you know they're the church going folk. Um, so they they're not really buying into the mental health thing. So they actually take Catherine home. So Catherine is actually home. And Angela is at a facility being looked at. Now, what ends up happening is uh, one of the nurses who is attending to Angela has like a conversation with Angela post-disappearance, obviously. And during the conversation, Angela says the name of a nun. And you see the nurse instantly react like, oh, my God, you know, like, like you shouldn't know that name. We later find out that that nurse was going to be a nun. She was literally days away from taking her vows to become, you know, a nun. And she basically, uh, she ended up fucking up. She got pregnant. You know, she got together with a guy. She got pregnant, um, blah, blah, blah. So she ended up leaving the church. But uh, like I said, she reacts to this name that Angela calls out. So eventually she goes to visit Angela's father with a copy of Chris McNeil's book. And she basically tells the dad, um, I, I, I was once I was almost going to be a nun and I never told anyone this. And before you become a nun, you're supposed to pick a name and it's supposed to be a different name than your birth name because it's the most it's supposed to represent the change into, you know, being a woman of God. So the name that Angela spit out at the hospital was her nun name. And like and like she tells uh, Angela's dad, she never told a living soul that name. No one knows that. No one even knows that she was pregnant and had an abortion. Like literally, this is information that she never shared with anybody. But somehow Angela possessed Angela in the hospital, knew all of this, knew her nun name and knew that she had killed her child. So that's why instantly the 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 nurse uh, Anne Dowd, uh, you know, uh, the character of Anne, basically tells uh, the, the, the dad, I don't think that it's a mental health issue. I think there's someone inside of Angela. That's when she then hands him Chris McNeil's book. Instantly, he thinks it's some kind of religious tome. 
and he's uninterested. But then she tells him, no, 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 it's not religious. Please read it. And that's when he looks at the cover and we see, I think the name of the book was A Mother's Decision or something like that. Or, yeah, something, A Mother's Something uh, by Chris McNeil. He ends up reading the book cover to cover, um, basically realizes that a lot of what Chris McNeil went through with Reagan is a lot of what he's currently going through with Angela. So he decides to visit her at home one day. And, um, you know, she's there, uh, and he starts to talk to her a little bit, and he brings up Reagan. This is where we find out that Reagan and Chris have not had a relationship since Chris released that book. And it seems like that book is pretty old because the cover, the, the picture of the author on the back of the cover is not Ellen Burstyn today. It's definitely more like what Ellen Burstyn looked like in the 80s. So potentially, you know, if The Exorcist occurred in 73, 74, maybe the book came out in the late 70s, early 80s. Anyway, the point is, is that Reagan and Chris have not had a relationship since then. Reagan was pissed off that she wrote a book exposing her life to the general public. So she basically just disappeared. She literally disappeared from her mother's life. Chris has no idea where Reagan is. So, you know, after talking back and forth a little bit with um, uh, with Victor, Angela's father, she decides that she wants to talk to Catherine. She can't go see Angela because Angela's uh, currently in the mental health facility. But, of course, like I said, Catherine's home because her parents didn't want to put her in any kind of facility. So she goes to visit Catherine, and literally the instant that she walks into the bedroom, she looks at Catherine and just goes, I know you. I know who you are and you know who I am and blah, blah, blah. And instantly, uh, you know, the possessed angel or possessed Catherine starts asking her, oh, do you want to know where Reagan is? We all know where Reagan is. We can all you have to do is ask and we'll tell you where Reagan is. And of course, you know, uh, she she doesn't play along. Chris doesn't want to play along. She's already dealt with a possessed person before. So she kind of knows the rules of not engaging in a conversation and definitely not taking their words as gospel. Eventually, though, uh, possessed Angela ends up grabbing a crucifix, a crucifix and stabbing Chris McNeil in both of her eyes. I'm sorry, but how fucking disrespectful is that for a legacy character? <laughs> I mean, the mother of Reagan McNeil and you fucking have a possessed 13 year old poke out both of her eyes. That was just so fucking upsetting. Um, I, Mc I, I feel like her mm -hmm. character was totally misused. Like, one, she wasn't even necessary, but I don't, I, I still have trouble with why she would even go there. Unless, like Dom said, maybe there'll be, if they go through with the sequel, we'll get more of, like, the purpose. But I'm like, the mom even stated herself, she had nothing to do with the exorcism in the original Yep. So why, would, when it's now someone else's kid, I'm not saying she wouldn't be concerned and offer sympathy and, hey, here's here's how we fix the solution for me, so look into this. But, like, I, I, I find it very unbelievable that she's going to go to the house and go in the room and talk to her because it's like, what yeah. what's the purpose of this? I don't get it. Yeah, it really doesn't. I, I think she's more, more than anything. I think Chris just wanted to see it with her own eyes and just have the confirmation that you know Victor isn't just an overly cautious dad. That you know this actually this girl actually is possessed. Blah blah blah. Anyway, 
So after this, uh, thankfully, Chris McNeil does not pass. You know, she does not die from her injuries. Yes, both of her eyes have been poked out with a crucifix, but um, she's basically in the hospital with patches over both of her eyes, obviously blind for the rest of her life. Um, so at this point, they make the decision to try to get an exorcist. Uh, literally, more than halfway through the fucking movie, they finally bring up the word exorcist, which, ah. So upsetting. And they end up meeting this priest who, I don't know, he just comes off as this wormy little chicken shit that doesn't really seem like he's that into it. Not nearly like Damien Karras, who was, like, adamant that this girl needed a, you know, um, uh, an exorcism, blah, blah, blah. This one, you know, luckily some of the members of the church do agree with them that potentially these girls probably do need an exorcism, but they also recognize the fact that exorcisms are just as dangerous for the possessed as it is for the exorcist. That, you know, they obviously, from the original exorcist, we know this, <laughs> that both exorcists were killed off. Spoiler alert. Sorry if you haven't watched a 50-year-old movie yet, but yeah, both exorcists do die at the end of the exorcist. And in this one, our supposed exorcist literally has like two throwaway scenes in this movie. One where he's talking... First to uh, Victor and Catherine's parents and basically agreeing with them that, you know, he'd like to perform an exorcism. And then a scene where he's actually talking to the board, you know, the church and, uh, you know, the members of the church. And, you know, like I said, they're they're talking about, yeah, we kind of agree, but we're still not sure that we want to approve an exorcism, blah, blah, blah. They almost make the Catholic Church seem nice. Yeah, I don't know if that was a purposeful decision, but yeah, uh, rather than making the Catholic Church look like, you know, selfish or not wanting to be involved, it seems like they did want to be involved. They just knew the danger involved, so they didn't. And so they finally decide, okay, fuck it, we need to perform this exorcism. Um, they make the plans. Uh, basically, this exorcism is going to be very different than the exorcism in the original, because in the original, the only people in the room are the exorcists and the possessed. In this version, everybody is in the room <laughs> except the exorcist because he shows up right when the, the ritual is about to start and he informs um, uh, Nurse Anne that he's not going to be able to do the exorcism. The church did not give him permission because of the inherent danger and blah, blah, blah. But everybody else is already there and prepared, and they're like, listen, we're, we're going to do this, you know, whether you want to or not. And it's kind of cool because not only is there a Catholic presence there, there's also kind of that Haitian slash voodoo presence there as, as there is kind of a um, – there's a woman there who I believe she used to be a doctor, if, uh, an oncologist. Yes, she, she mentioned that she was an oncologist, uh, radiation therapy for those of you who don't know what oncology is. Um, so she was a radiation therapist and then discovered, you know, the healing power of the universe and blah, 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 stuff like that. So she's now kind of this practicing, I don't want to say voodoo because they never say the word voodoo in the movie, but obviously she's Haitian. She's doing a lot of stuff with herbs and, and talismans and, you know, it just, it looks very familiar. So that's why I'm kind of leaning on the word, but I might be incorrect. So, like I said, everyone is here except the uh, the priest, the actual exorcist. There is a minister there, like the, the minister of that church, but he's not a priest. I mean, there's a big difference between minister and priest, so uh, a minister cannot perform an exorcism. 
Um, if you want to know why, go read your Bible. I'm sure it's in there. But um, they all decide, well, fuck it. We're just going to go ahead and run with this. So basically all the parents are there, Catherine's parents, um, Angela's father, Nurse Anne is there. Nurse Anne has actually been given permission by the priest. Like he tried to empower her to convince her that she could run the exorcism. So the the person who actually runs the exorcism in this movie is not a licensed exorcist, isn't even a person of the cloth. It's literally a nurse who almost became a nun. So there's that whole suspension of disbelief you got to deal with. Um, so anyway, yeah, they start the exorcism. Basically what they do is uh, – the uh, the Haitian priestess lady draws a circle on the floor with a bunch of, like, other circles inside of it and different designs, things like that. And they end up taking a couple of chairs. And I, I, actually, I actually did find this one thing clever. Instead of just putting the chairs on the floor, they actually drilled them to the floor so that they couldn't float up. I, I, I thought that was kind of clever. Like, that, that would have made sense if Chris McNeil would have been there to say that of, you know, oh, by the way, you might want to nail those chairs down because they're not likely going to stay on the floor. Um, so anyway, like I said, they nail down these two chairs that are in the center of this chalk circle that's been drawn on the floor. And our pseudo exorcist, Nurse Anne, starts, uh, you know, doing the, uh, the incantation, starts reading the words. Um, our two possessed girls are asleep in the chair, but within a minute or two of Nurse, Dow, uh, of Nur of Nurse Anne, excuse me, um, reciting these passages, you know, the rites of exorcism from the Bible, they both wake up. Um, they both, and, and this is where the movie just gets so goddamn cliche, like how much more uh, of this whole thing with these kids speaking in, uh, you know, weird, crazy, doubled languages, speaking like the most vile shit ever, injuring themselves constantly. In fact, they even did the help me gag from the original, if you guys remember, in the original, um, they saw the word help me kind of. Um, pressed into Reagan's belly from inside of her belly, like somebody inside there was basically, you know, type, uh, spelling out "help me." In this movie, it's actually written out in uh, in wounds, in knife wounds. It's it's like carved into someone's belly. We we don't actually see who it is that's displaying the "help me." All we see is a picture. Of the, uh, we see a picked a close up of the the girl's torso and we see help me carved in it looks like it like carved in with a razor blade or whatever, and then Catherine of course has an upside down cross carved into her forehead ooh so edgy yeah we haven't seen that before jeez Mike's a metalhead you remember yeah, that we, guy <laughs> you remember we really uh, the lead get the singer cross with the upside down cross exactly <laughs> yeah like we needed that shit but like we don't I already mean, know what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, it's that's what I mean. Like, this is why stuff like Metamorphosis and What When Evil Lurks is so much more original because they're not leaning on these old tropes. You know, the possessed in When Evil Lurks isn't some disheveled, dry-lipped, uh, you know, covered in cuts type of person. It's actually something completely different, which is original and refreshing. This, so, <laughs> yeah, this turns into Conjuring the Exorcist. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. Big time. OK, so 
Again, uh, our girls are now awake. Uh, Nurse Anne is still proceeding with the rite of passage. And then just as she's getting to like a major, like the music is swelling and, you know, we get um, uh, like just, you know, the lights are flickering, like all, all the traditional exorcism tropes are happening. Our fucking priest out of nowhere just decides to come in and literally the moment he did that it felt like a WWE run in to me i don't know if, how many wrestling fans we have listening but in wrestling like whenever a good guy wrestler gets jumped by like three or four bad guy wrestlers and then uh like another good guy wrestler runs into the ring to save him that's what this felt like it felt like these two possessed girls were ba- basically had the upper hand on everybody in the room and this guy kind of runs in and literally as soon as he starts chanting his prayers the girls start acting violently they start reacting violently almost like the words that he's saying are working and it almost seems like he's going to you know, he's going to kind of change the tide and make everything kind of go the right way. But suddenly, nope, both girls basically look at him and they both start to turn their heads, almost like they're going to do the head turn that Reagan does in the original. But instead, the priest's head is the one that gets turned all the way around backwards. We hear the snap of his neck and then he just falls over. The two girls are still tr- strapped into the chairs, and they're laughing their ass off, blah, blah, blah. And then this is the part of the exorcism that just gets so fucked up over the top that I almost walked out of the theater. I, this isn't hyperbole. I almost walked out of the fucking theater. At one point, the the Haitian priestess lady, like, grabs some uh, alcohol takes a swig of it and then spits it into the fire. They have a like a, a burning fire in the room, like a fireplace. She spits it into the fireplace and these flames come out of the fire. At the exact moment that that happens, we see smoke start to come out of the girls' mouths. And we start hearing these voices, like these distant voices. We can't really tell what they're saying, but we know that you're hearing voices almost implying that the smoke that's coming out of these girls' mouths is the demon. And when the priest is... It's, it's, it's the shining being sucked out like Dr. Sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I don't know how else to explain. Yeah, the I, was, I was like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> I was so disgusted. I mean, my my pretty much from this point to the rest of the movie, my face is in my palm. But it just, I could not get over that this is where my my fucking favorite franchise has gone to. One of my favorite franchises has gone to. Fucking supernatural CG crap. Um, not even in any kind of shape. Just literally wisps of smoke. Um, so what ends up happening is after the priestess spits... Uh, the alcohol into the fire, the smoke that comes out of the fire engulfs the the mist that uh, the girls were spitting out. And it almost, and then suddenly it's all sucked into the fireplace. Like, zoop, all of it is sucked in. And literally everyone in the room thinks it's over. They're like, is it over? Is it done? And then finally both girls end up waking up. They're still very much possessed. They're laughing their ass off. And at this point, we get kind of, not a twist, but kind of the, the how this whole thing is going to, you know, this, how this whole exorcism is going to end. We hear the girls basically in the demon's voice say, 
make a choice. One girl must live and one girl must die. And, she, and, and the demon is asking the parents, make your choice. Catherine or Angela, Catherine or Angela, who lives, who dies, which, oh, my God, I, I, my eyes almost rolled out of my head. That, that my eyes rolled so hard I couldn't fucking get over it. But uh, obviously the smart parents, which is uh, Victor, Angela's father, and um, uh, Catherine's mother, they both kind of understand what's happening, and they both are like, don't make a choice. No one make a choice. Now, Catherine's father, who's been a wishy-washy little bitch this whole fucking movie, he wasn't even on board for the exorcism. Like, he, he doesn't even want to be there. He's sitting outside the house. And then finally, he decides, okay, I'll go in and I'll participate. He takes off his shoes and socks like everyone else in the room did, puts on this talisman that the uh, Haitian priestess lady gave everyone. And it's like, now he's participating. But then... After the after the demon kind of says, you know, make your choice, live or die, um, Victor, Angela's father, goes and gets the scarf, um, her mother's scarf. Um, again, like the whole catalyst, or at least I, I feel like that's what the movie is implying, but poorly. Uh, he goes to get the scarf and he gives it to her and he says, look, it's your mother's scarf. Remember this is what you wanted. I'm so sorry for denying this from you, blah, blah, blah. But then suddenly Angela's able to break out of her restraints. Uh, she rips out of them and she does, you know, the traditional possessed float. She floats up in the middle, of, up in the air, in the middle of the room. And basically both of the possessed girls are kind of screaming in pain. And you still hear the demonic voice say, make a choice, make your choice. One must live, one must die, blah, blah, blah. Finally, Catherine's father, the complete douchebag that he is, out loud says, I choose Catherine. And obviously, Victor and um, Catherine's mother look at each other like, oh, fuck, he fucked everything up. And of course he did, because this is a demon we're talking about, the deceiver, the king of lies. So what happens after Catherine's dad makes the choice? Well, it ends up that both girls' heart stops. It almost seems like they both die right when the dad picks Catherine, when he says, I choose Catherine to live. Um, and But then suddenly we, we, we get a scene um, of the night that they disappeared. And uh, basically Catherine is kind of transported back to that spot in the forest underground where, you know, their, their shoes were found. And we hear a, dem a demonic voice go, I choose you, Catherine, almost like he's punishing Catherine's father for making that decision, for making the selfish decision of sacrificing another person's daughter. So the demon basically takes Catherine. And yeah, that's it. Catherine is gone. Catherine dies. At this point, both girls are dead. Both hearts have stopped. But then suddenly Angela comes too. Angela's heart starts beating. She wakes up. And, um, oh, and I forgot to mention that during the exorcism, it is revealed that back in Haiti, uh, when uh, you remember that when uh, Victor's wife, his pregnant wife was injured and he had to make the decision of who to save, the wife or the child, this is where we get, during the exorcism is where we get the reveal Obviously, because of the way that the movie progressed, most of us assumed that he chose the child. 
As it turns out, no, he told the doctors to save his wife and to sacrifice the child. Somehow the mother ended up dying on the surgery, on the operating table anyway, but they still were able to save the child. And of course the possessed Angela spits this back at her father. You wanted me dead. I was unwanted, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, during the scene where both girls are saying, make your choice, make your choice. Um, you know, the possessed Angela is basing, t- basically daring the dad to choose, you know, the other girl. You wanted to sacrifice me 13 years ago. Here's your chance. Do it, do it, do it. But of course, because of Catherine's father's douchebaggery, he goes and chooses Catherine. Of course, the demon lied about the choice, ends up taking Catherine, and then um, Angela ends up surviving not only surviving the uh, exorcism, but actually going back to normal. We we end up seeing her in a final scene, one of the final scenes of the film, where she's going back to school, everything is normal, everything looks awesome. And then we get our epitaph, our finale, our, our final scene of the movie, where it's Chris McNeil in the hospital. Um, she's there, obviously blind. Both her eyes are gone. She's got eye patches over her eyes. Someone walks into her hospital room. We don't see who it is right away. But I think those of us in the know instantly knew who it was. And, of course, it, the person bends down, and it's fucking Linda Blair. It is Reagan. Uh, out of hiding, uh, she must have heard about what happened to her mother at the exorcism and decided to come back and help her out. But yeah, there's Reagan. And to me, that was the best fucking scene in the movie. I know people are going to call that fan service, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. Fan service isn't always bad. You know, I mean, when you're talking about one of the greatest movies ever made, at least in my opinion, a little bit of fan service is okay. I'm very on board with that. And that ended up being my favorite scene in the whole goddamn movie, a fucking exorcism movie. And my favorite scene is an estranged mother and daughter coming back together. That does not bode well for your film. And that's pretty much the end, folks. Our movie ends there. No post credit scene. That is The Exorcist Believer, and thank God I'm done talking about it. (laughs) You did not make me a believer. (laughs) Oh, God, believer. And and even the subtitle, Believer, like it didn't really even have that much bearing because I think what they were trying to imply is that Victor, Angela's father, was not a religious guy and that – He didn't believe in heaven, hell, God, or the devil, any of it. But here is his daughter being possessed. And I figured him not being a believer would play a bigger part in this movie. But it ends up not. Because of Catherine's selfish douchebag father, uh, Victor doesn't even really have to make a hard decision in this movie. Some other idiot makes it for him. So, yeah, so the title of The Exorcist is incorrect. The title of Believer is incorrect. Like, I'm just going to say this whole movie is incorrect and just should not have been made. Um, Like I said, it's not the worst movie. The The decision to make it was incorrect. Oh, by far, by far. But I, like I said, I don't know. I feel like David Gordon Green hit a home run with Halloween 2018. Like, you know, it's not a 10 out of 10 by any stretch, but it's a it's a solid movie. And I feel like compared to the stuff he's given us since. That's what I mean. I feel like the success of that movie got to his head and he thinks that he's improving all these franchises and making them better. And it's like, dude, no. Now, granted, 
The one thing, and I mean the one thing that I will thank David Gordon Green for, is that this is a sequel. When we first started hearing talk about this movie, we heard that it was a remake. And let me tell you something. I would boycott a remake of The Exorcist. I, I, I'm sorry. I feel that strongly. I mean, it's my favorite movie. That's not hyperbole. It is literally my favorite film ever made. You tell me that the guy that ruined Halloween is going to remake The Exorcist? I would have told Don and Mike, I'm not watching it. We're not reviewing it, and I'm not watching it. But since it turned out to be a sequel with, with returning legacy characters, I decided, okay, I'll accept it. Because no matter how bad a sequel is, it'll never ruin an original. Um, not to say that a remake does, but just uh, – to, sitting in a theater watching a remake of my favorite movie ever made by a hack director would just piss me off to no end. And like I said, I was very close to leaving this movie in the middle of the exorcism, but I looked at my clock and I saw that there was only like 10 minutes left in the runtime. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'll stay. But yeah, I, I really strongly wanted to leave. And that's saying a lot from a hardcore exorcist fan. <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. Right. I don't blame you. Oh, God. Can we talk about When Evil Lurks now? <laughs> um, I was going to say this. If you guys are willing to uh, pull double duty, what do you say we get together Wednesday or Thursday and uh, do that one? I am very down for that. I mean, there's so many yeah, movies coming out. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like I said, if you want to... I have to look at my schedule, but yeah. Like what said, what actually mean, comes out this week coming up? Uh, there's nothing in theaters this week. I, I thought there was something every week every week in, no, in October, but actually, no. It's November that we have something almost every week between Thanksgiving and, um, well, the movie Thanksgiving, not the holiday, and um, a couple of other movies that I saw being released on the 17th and 24th of November. Uh, we're probably going to be in theaters more in November than October, but there, there's no, um, uh, what do you call it, um, limit on movies. I mean, it's October. We've got mad movies coming out. Obviously, you know, we if we decide to get together later this week and do When Evil Lurks, I will absolutely go see it again because <laughs> I just love that goddamn movie. Uh, spoiler alert. And then maybe next week we could do, like, VHS if there's nothing in theaters, um, just to keep up our, our track record of always reviewing VHS movies. We've, we've never missed one since we've been uh, a podcast, so I wouldn't mind keeping that streak going. <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, that was my idea and proposal was maybe, like, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday do When Evil Lurks, and then maybe Sunday, Monday do VHS 85. I'm, I'm down. Like I said, I mean, I was going to talk to Mike. I mean, that was the, like I said, that was the proposal I was going to make if that was fine with you guys and your schedule. So, and I mean, you know, taking off camera conversations to on camera conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we're doing this live, aren't we? <laughs> but that's, well, that's I mean, since, to, since nothing's coming to. out this week anyway in theaters, we can make it our next episode anyway. So. When, what night we specifically cover it, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like know my I said, schedule that was for the my thing yet, was, but... Like I said, yeah, that was my thing was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you guys are free, do Win Evil Lurks. And then Sunday, Monday, depending on your schedule, do VHS 85. Because that would technically still be new because I don't think there's anything... There is something on Shudder. I don't remember what it is. Because I know Shudder's got one every week. And then I know... Yeah. 
Um, I think Hulu's got something the last week or two. Because I know that oh, they then, just been... Yeah. yeah. And then um, <laughs> Never Hike Alone 2 came out this week as well. Which I know is a yeah. fan film, but it's like one of the best fan films ever, so... <laughs> Yeah, because like I said, I know Hulu's got something coming out. Um, I know they just dropped that new time-traveling slasher film. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. so I know that they did that. I know that they also announced that there's going to be something else coming out that they're going to release, and I I think Netflix has something coming out. Yeah, I would imagine most of the streaming services are going to have something original out in October. Obviously, yeah. the big boys, but yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tubi has a couple of things, and you know, Scream Cat or whatever the hell that other horror service Box. is. Screenbox, Screenbox. So yeah, we've got All options, right. regardless. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But uh, anyways, yeah, that's gonna wrap it up, and hopefully, I will. Uh, for those of you that are worried about what our conversations are like off camera, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, that probably right, should have been um, more entertaining than uh, Exorcist Believer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Venom, uh, what do you got? Anything new for people to listen to? Uh, actually, no, nothing. Um, I, I'm still waiting. I think this week I'm going to be recording my guest spot with um, Cut to the Chase for their Thrills and Chills series. My movie is Bordello of Blood. I'm actually going to rewatch Demon Knight as well because I haven't watched Demon Knight in like 15 years. So I'm going to go ahead and watch them both so that I can, you know, be a little bit more prepared for the show. And then um, that's pretty much it. I think we have an idea of what we want to do for the uh, No More Room in Hell Halloween special. We've already started conversations on that. So we'll definitely have a a Halloween special out uh, before the end of the month. But as far as new shows in the last couple of weeks, nothing from me. All right. Uh, how about you, Don? Um, so, yeah, um, and due to unforeseen circumstances, I was supposed to have recorded with uh, Dan and Lacey for uh, Thrills and Chills, but uh, that got postponed. So I think we're still in this um, rescheduling phase. Um, I'm going to be doing uh, Exorcist 3. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh We'll see, but um, I, I think my take on that one is um, a little bit controversial, but um, it should be a fun time. And yeah, I'm always uh, down for some controversy. Oh, <laughs> <always>. yeah. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, the only other thing for me, um, I might be doing a uh, round robin. Uh, Around Robin bracket with uh, some friends of mine. I don't know the date for that. Um, I believe it's going to be next week, although I don't know the date. It'll be recorded either uh, the 21st or somewhere in there. I'm not sure, but um, it'll be a uh, bracket of uh, slasher films. So uh, we're going to have a random assortment of slasher films to talk about. Um, since I don't know the recording date, um, I haven't heard much else other than that, so I don't even know what films we're covering. But uh, I, I've been with them before, and we've had a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to that one. But, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, the only other thing is uh, Season 2 of Horror Countdown. So, uh, yeah, go back and uh, give that a listen. Uh, yeah, I guess that should be pretty much it, unless I get uh, confirmation on the um, the Sasha tournament. I, I think that's pretty much it for me. 
All right. As far as I go, yeah, I got Thrills and Chills coming up sometime soon. I'm doing Pumpkinhead 2. Um, and the only other thing I got is No More Own Hell 56 is finished, and it's off to the network. Well, it will be tonight, this evening. So that should be up probably within the next couple of days. I would imagine you're listening to this first. Uh, because if they are both available, I'll probably post this one just to get this out. But uh, they, it will be this week. And we discussed two uh, Japanese horror movies versus... And what's the name of the other one, Venom? Origami. Not origami, yeah. but origami. Origami, <laughs> right. Same director. So uh, if you haven't seen either of those, check them out. And... Uh, That'll get you prepared for the episode. But otherwise, yeah, that's that's it for me. Uh, Venom already mentioned the Halloween special we're working on, so we'll get that recorded sometime in October prior to Halloween. And uh, with that said, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back with hopefully a more uh, fun movie to discuss <laughs> um, shortly. So let's say bye to our listeners. I said it once, I'll say it again. Fuck you, Jason Bloom and David Gordon Green. Later. <laughs> I'll jump on that same sentiment and say, stop giving David Gordon Green money, for fuck's sake. Yeah, and please cancel the trilogy. <laughs> God, yes. God, please.